1: Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinza. Coming up in this episode, disasters and bathrooms.
0: So this is where, you know, a disaster happens. You jump on a plane. You try to get to that community as the disaster is happening and you're, you are interviewing people, you're making observations about how the response is unfolding. You know, as you start to look back at what happened last year, you can see all of these different what I call forks in the road of where one decision or another could have been made. And nearly at every turn, the United States, particularly the federal government made the wrong turn, right? That said, we still have a very long way to go before we're talking about any kind of like apocalyptic scenario. Um, And in that sense, we do have time to act. We do have time to make changes.
1: I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So our first guest is an expert and has fascinating insight into things that we see constantly on the news. We are bombarded with disasters of all kinds, right? COVID, climate change, super volcanoes, meteorites, asteroids, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, plagues, zombies, everything. There seems to be a new disaster happening somewhere every single day. But how do we actually study, learn from, and maybe even prevent some of these disasters from happening our first guest is dr samantha montano she's a disasterologist who studies exactly that so what exactly is a disaster like what what has to happen for it to qualify as a disaster
0: Depends on who you ask, but generally when we are talking about disasters, we're talking about a situation where something has happened, a community becomes overwhelmed, and they are in need of help to come from the outside uh, to help with things like search and rescue, opening shelters, uh, you know, addressing medical needs. Uh, So when you have a tornado that goes through a town and takes out half of the town, that would be a disaster, right? They're going to need that help to come from the outside versus a tornado that just goes through an empty field and, uh, you know, doesn't really cause any damage. That wouldn't be considered a disaster.
1: How do you study one? (laughs)
0: Well, that's a good question. Um, So when we're thinking about disasters, there's kind of the before, during, and after. So, uh, you know, we can study disasters all the time, right? We can study the level of risk that a community has before a disaster happens, and we can go afterwards during the recovery and do interviews and, and collect data, Um, But we also, and this is kind of maybe the like cooler part of disaster research, we can go during the actual disaster and do what we call quick response research. Um, So this is where, you know, a disaster happens. You jump on a plane. You try to get to that community as the disaster is happening and you're interviewing people. You're making observations about how the response is unfolding.
1: Are we having more disasters than we have in the past?
0: In... Some ways, yes, uh, we definitely have newer types of hazards that we need to contend with. So kind of the interconnectedness of our systems, the complexities of things like our electric grid have increased our vulnerabilities, have increased our risk in some ways as compared to, you know, 200 years ago. At the same time, we do see uh, that generally there's been a a decline in the number of deaths related to disasters uh, in the past several decades. A lot of that is tied to advances in warning systems, uh, advances in forecasting. Um, so, you know, there are in some ways we're we're better off than we were, and in other ways we're also we are seeing an increase in risk because of. Uh, You know, those interconnected systems, like I mentioned, but also kind of where we develop uh, in, you know, high risk floodplains, for example. Um, And then, of course, climate change as well.
1: Uh, Can we prevent them or do we just respond to them better?
0: No, we absolutely can prevent disasters or at least significantly minimize the damage that they cause. So uh, within emergency management, we do something called mitigation. Uh, Sometimes it's called hazard mitigation. If you do a lot of climate work, this would fall under the heading of climate adaptation. Um, But through mitigation, we can do things to uh, try to prevent disasters from happening. So we can, you know, strengthen our building codes, we can rethink our land use policies, uh, we can uh, address issues of social inequality, Uh, we we can get at some of these more kind of root causes of disasters and, and try to make changes to, you know, like I said, at least minimize the damage that these types of events are causing.
1: How did you get into studying this?
0: So I got my start in disasters post-Katrina in New Orleans. Um, I was in high school when Katrina happened, and I went down to the city to rebuild or to you know help with the rebuilding for a week, and I was just absolutely stunned by what I saw. I grew up in New England, and we just never had a disaster that size, um, and so I had nothing to really compare it to. Um, And I was just horrified by the extent of the damage and more than that, the extent of the needs in the community. It was pretty soon after Katrina, but it was already very obvious that the recovery was not going to be this, you know, equitable process that some communities were getting more government resources as compared to others. And so I decided to move to New Orleans and I lived there for Several years working on the recovery with various nonprofits um, that were, you know, <laughs> doing kind of everything in the city to help with the recovery. Um, and then while I was living there, the BP oil disaster happened along the coast. And so I kind of diverted my attention um, down to that response and eventually that recovery as well. And um, and as I saw those events unfold um, and again, saw that inequality in how needs were addressed. I was interested in, in learning more about disasters, you know, understanding the history of why we approach emergency management the way we do.
1: When you look at some of the disasters, is it more that everything gets wiped out at once, right? Like the power goes out, the cell service goes out, the water goes out, that all happens at once? Or is it a domino effect?
0: Well, it really depends on the situation. Um, I think, you know, the winter storm uh, that has just uh, gone across Texas recently, um, I think is one kind of example of kind of a bit more of a domino effect where you have one system that goes down and then you have issues with water, right? And that kind of uh, is more of what we, w- we would call like cascading. Um, but other times, uh you know, again, depending on what that hazard is, um, you know, with uh, like a tsunami or something, right, that's all pretty much going down at the same time. So um, it kind of just depends on the situation. Um, One thing that, again, this comes back to these interconnected systems, but one thing that is important is to think about Uh, You know, when we're thinking about how to prevent these disasters from happening, you know, it's not, uh, you know, are we going to prevent this winter storm from happening? It's what can we do to make sure the lights are staying on? What can we make sure what can we do to make sure people's pipes aren't freezing? Right. What you know, there's different questions that can kind of be asked um, that can lead us to making those uh, preventative changes early on to try and lessen the impacts.
1: I'm I'm probably going to ask this question horribly. I hope you kind of can in, interpret what I mean by it. But is there a limit in terms of our preparedness, right? Like let's take a example of a dam breaking and we should build the dam for a 100-year flood or a 1000-year flood. But is it worth our time to build it to withstand a nuclear disaster? Like where do we kind of over prepare? How do we balance that besides like, okay, we've we've built this thing and it's perfectly safe, but we've also used all the money in the
0: United States to do it? Sure. Yeah. So the question you're getting at here is um, related to our risk perception and really related to what we prioritize. I don't think that there is one answer to that question. I think it's something that each kind of community needs to talk about and decide on their own what level of risk they are willing to live with. I agree with you. I think that, you know, we don't need to build every single levy to withstand a nuclear <laughs> attack or something like that. But I think we do need to look at, you know, what is the risk of this community, right? If you're talking about the New Orleans levy system, you know, I think there's an argument to be made that, yeah, we probably do need to build those levees for a category five storm there. The likelihood of that happening is great enough that the investment that it would take to make those levies more secure, especially given that this is protecting an entire city is something to me that is worth that cost.
1: What do you what are your kind of perceptions of COVID so far?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, so first of all, let me say that, um, you know, COVID is what we would call a catastrophe um, not a disaster. So, uh, you asked me earlier how we define disaster and, you know, we're talking about a community becoming overwhelmed in the case of COVID. We have a situation where, you know, it's not just one city that is overwhelmed and needing help. It's the entire country. And in fact, many countries around the world. And so, uh, and, and this is happening over an extended period of time, right. Over more than a year. And so, uh, that makes COVID unique in and of itself. Um, another example of a catastrophe in US history would be Hurricane Maria and then also Hurricane Katrina and the levee failure. So uh, catastrophes are kind of these more rare events um, and they're kind of bigger than what we would consider, you know, kind of a quote, unquote" normal disaster, like a tornado in the Midwest. Um, so that kind of creates a layer of complexity and of itself in terms of how we respond um, from an emergency management perspective. Um, emergency management agencies have been involved in the response, you know, going back to a, a year a year ago. Um, generally, public health has a kind of outsized role in the response to a situation like this, but emergency management is kind of the um, supportive part of the response.
1: If you were to kind of fast forward or back up or whatever the correct terminology would be, we look at this years from now, did we screw it up?
0: Oh yes, absolutely. So yeah,
1: we kind of did, didn't (laughs) we? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like a lot. Um, yeah. So again, from an emergency management perspective, there are kind of all, you know, as you start to look back at what happened last year, you can see all of these different, what I call forks in the road of where one decision or another could have been made. And nearly at every turn, the United States, particularly the federal government, made the wrong turn, right? They were not listening to public health officials who were, you know, raising, raising the alarms about this back in January, Um, we see that they, uh, you know, were not being always very transparent about the lack of testing or the challenges relating to testing going back to those initial months. Um, There was a lot of um, kind of uh, downplaying. And even as the president said, you know, our former president said, not wanting to, quote unquote, cause a panic among the public. Um, And and so that information wasn't always um, told to the public in a direct and consistent and accurate way, Um, which, of course, then in turn limited what individuals could do to prepare themselves It limited what communities could do to ready themselves and how they understood what was coming. Um, so again, as you go back, kind of every decision made in the past year, you can see where a lot of wrong decisions were made
1: in terms of like how we screwed it up one being like, eh, you did, but it wasn't really that bad, right? Like you missed the shot, but it kind of went into the basket and fell out 10, like, man, you really screwed up. Where do you think we would be in that regard?
0: Well, I, ha- I always say that things could always be worse. So I'll have to go with like an eight or a nine. That bad? Damn. Yeah. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, <laughs> it's difficult to find a disaster expert, find a public health expert who did not have a pandemic on their radar as a huge risk that we have, right? When you go and look at The threat assessment the most recent threat assessment that fema did in 2009 you can see that they have a pandemic scenario written in there as one of the major threats to the country and the way it's written is almost exactly what happened right this was a an incredibly known threat this was not some surprise this was not something that could not have been predicted this was something that we saw coming you know miles and miles away and because of that Past administrations had done a fair amount to prepare the country for the response to a pandemic. Um, President Bush, uh, in uh, the end of 2005, talked a lot about the need to prepare the country for a pandemic. He um, helped ushered in major changes within the federal government, um, dedicated additional resources to pandemic response efforts. Again, you see the Obama administration kind of doing something similar following the response to Ebola of really you know wanting to make sure that the U.S was prepared for something like this. Um, so this is not, again something that was a surprise. There were systems that were in place. there were plans that were in place. there were there was expertise that was in place. Um, and, you know, that's not to say we were 100% prepared, of course not, right? There are, you know, was always more that could have been done early, you know, going back many decades, but there, uh, there, there was a system in place for this. And unfortunately the Trump administration did not follow those systems. They kind of brushed aside decades of research, decades of efforts that had been done to prepare us for a situation like this. So, um, Yeah, in terms of the screw ups, definitely up around an eight or a nine.
1: Is is there a quick example that you would say like this country did it right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at uh, New Zealand is kind of the country that everybody holds up as the standout example of a country who, um, you know, took the, took this seriously from the beginning. Um, they implemented measures that, though they were strict, fell in line with public health recommendations in terms of, you know, shutting things down, doing testing, monitoring kind of who's coming in and out of the country. Um, And, you know, you can see, you know, people from New Zealand are posting photos out in crowds the past year where, you know, we have not been able to do that. Right. So, um, you know, obviously there are major differences between, um, you know, New Zealand and the US in terms of geography and size and uh, all, all of that. But still, um, I think that you know you can can draw some parallels and, and some pretty major differences there and you can imagine how things could have gone much differently in the United States.
1: Does the way that we handled COVID-19 and recent disasters, does that give you more faith or less faith for how we're gonna handle climate change?
0: I don't know that it really changes my thoughts on climate change. I think that um, you know, in the same way. Many political leaders do not take climate change seriously. I think we've seen many political leaders not take the pandemic seriously, very often the same ones. Um, And you can see the repercussions of that, right? I mean, there are over half a million people dead in the United States. That is an incredible and unacceptable death toll, given the access to resources that this country has given the access to knowledge that this country has. Um, and I think that, you know, there is an obvious parallel here to climate change. There is a known risk. We, we have a really good understanding of what climate change is, uh, doing to us now and what it will continue to do into the future. And we have the resources to deal with it. We have the knowledge of how to deal with it, but, uh, political leaders won't act. And so here we are.
1: I'm going to jump, jump ahead a little bit. I'll give you one of our listeners submitted questions really quick. Cause I think it ties right into this. And the listener submitted question is simply this climate change. Are we fucked?
0: Look, we don't need to be
1: <laughs> It kind of uh, sounds like a little bit
0: of a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we kind of uh, a little bit, maybe. Um, so Look, I think that um, it, it's hard. It's hard to say, right? There are some communities that, quite frankly, are yes. Um, there are already communities across the country and around the world that are on a daily basis dealing with the consequences of climate change. You know, sea levels are rising to the point that their roads and their infrastructure are flooded on, you know, a regular basis. You have, um, you know, places that are, you know, communities uh, across the West that have burned down in these wildfires, which in part have been uh, linked to climate change. And so, yeah, for some people, climate change has already screwed them over, right? Right. Um, That said, we still have a very long way to go before we're talking about any kind of like apocalyptic scenario. Um, And in that sense, we do have time to act. We do have time to make changes. And, uh, you know, this isn't just in terms of carbon emissions, but also in terms of what we do to adapt, right? Um, You know, we are obviously locked into a certain amount of sea level rise in many places, but Um, there are things that we can do. We can lift homes up. We can do buyouts so people are, um, you know, compensated for their losses. Uh, You know, we can build different kinds of flood infrastructure to try and protect communities longer. Uh, So in that sense, no, we're not fucked. There is a lot that we can still do.
1: If, okay, you know, I love my one to 10 kind of things. But if COVID was a one, on a scale of 1 to 10, if COVID was a 1, what do you think that climate change would be?
0: Uh in terms of what could happen or in terms of our response to it?
1: Let's say what could happen, like brace me for what we're getting into.
0: It really it depends on it depends on our climate policy. As of now, I'd say we're headed towards like I don't know, 7.
1: <laughs> That's pretty bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's not great.
1: Where, where would you – okay, on that scale, where would you put the meteorite or the meteor or the asteroid or whatever the correct description is that hit the dinosaurs?
0: Um, I mean, that would probably be a 10, right? Okay. I mean,
1: like... so, so we're not that screwed.
0: <laughs> no.
1: But we're still pretty screwed. Not as, <laughs> a, not, as <laughs> now. not as
0: now. We should
1: probably do something about this here, climate change, I guess.
0: Yeah, it would be a good idea.
1: Um, Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? What is the worst type of disaster? Like in terms of the type of it, like this, this is always going to be bad. This happens. Oh man, that's going to be bad. And let's leave climate change out because I feel like that dominates everything.
0: I Probably some kind of like a super volcano eruption would be like the worst of the worst.
1: Oh, great. <laughs> that's that's right Where That's just right. a couple of yeah. hundred miles away from where I live. No big sure. Deal.
0: I mean, look, any kind of situation where there is a risk to food supply and water supply in the long term and that risk is, you know, global especially, then that's the worst of the worst, right? That gets at our ability to even live.
1: There's not like a lot of those though, right?
0: No. I, it's not something I lose sleep over, so you should not either.
1: Okay. Wait, is there... Okay, so there's the disaster level, the catastrophe level. Is there something above that?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I would categorize it as like a mass extinction event.
1: Oh, how do you like... How do you not be depressed all the time?
0: Well... I don't worry about mass extinction events because if that happens, I don't intend to survive it. So I don't need to deal with it.
1: That's a good philosophy, right? Like smoke them if you got them. Kind yeah. Of. <laughs> like, eh, I'm done. You know,
0: if you want to spend your time building a survival bunker, that's fine. But I'm not dealing with all of that.
1: Is that is that worth anything? Right. Like, should people really be doing that kind of stuff?
0: Um. I mean, I I think if somebody wants to do that, they can. Uh, I don't know that it's the best use of resources for them personally, but if that's what they're into, then go for it.
1: I had some buddies that would, not some buddies, one guy that was like, I'm getting my survival bunker to protect myself. was like, it's not just going to be your neighbors that come for you. It's going to be like millions of people and there's nothing you can do when all of California decides to invade your hometown. Like yeah. your survival bunker ain't helping you buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, you know, there's a really important distinction to be made between these like hardcore survival bunkers and, you know, a like a realistic level of preparedness of like having extra food and water in your house. Um but yeah, in, in terms of preparedness also I'll point out, it's not just what you do as an individual. Our preparedness is very much tied to like community preparedness and what we do as a community to prepare the, you know, the resources we have. Uh, There's kind of a a little bit of a myth about disasters as being this really like individualistic endeavor where we're all just on our own. But that actually is not what happens during a disaster. People come together, right? You're relying on your neighbors, your community, your family, your friends. Um, You know, the response to disasters is actually this really like social experience
1: most overrated disaster, type of disaster. Like, oh, people are always worried about this, but it's really not that bad compared to other disasters.
0: Um, overrated. That's hard. Um, well, I don't know. It really depends on the situation. I feel like I'll offend somebody. No yeah,
1: matter that's what kind it. of like a.
0: <laughs> um, I'll say that um, slower onset hazards tend to, I think, kind of be more manageable in some ways. So again, at the risk of offending a lot of people in the Midwest, I'll say something like a a slow duration river flood is something where it can cause extensive damage, right? But Um, You have time to evacuate people, right? There isn't that same loss of life usually as compared to something like a tsunami where you have very little warning. So I think in like some ways, those slower onset disasters are are easier to manage.
1: I used to be a reporter working in Kansas and I grew up in Kansas and I would- Right. Like we're not making light of anything. I want to make that clear. And I don't think that you are sure. either, but it, it is. You're right. Right. Like people there, when I would cover those stories is like, well, look, we we lost our stuff, but we got out alive. It's not the end of the world. Right. It's not place where people really shouldn't live.
0: I, I know a lot of people kind of answer this by saying along the coast and, you know, in places that flood regularly. And yeah, I like I get it. Um, I also grew up along the ocean, so I also get not wanting to leave. Um, and I think there's also a lot of communities that are able to live along the water without, um, in in like a more sustainable way. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, I think you can look at, um, you know, some of the islands like along the East coast, um, even in the Gulf where, you know, if people haven't already moved the writings on the wall for that.
1: I live in Seattle and people are always like, you should probably watch out because if Rainier goes, you're basically a dead man. <laughs> so, oh, good, good. Yeah. I like that one. You know, um, the,
0: the thing is, is that every place has risk, right? And it's just, what is that risk? Is that, you know, is the earthquake going to happen while you're living there? You know, it's hard to say. So, um, you know, there's always some level of risk no matter where you live.
1: Is there a specific type of disaster or a looming disaster that you would say like, oh, people stop talking about that. It's not happening.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't want to contradict myself, but I would say Yellowstone. Um, You know, look, one day, sure, but probably not in our lifetimes. Again, not something I lose sleep over.
1: Okay, these are the really fun ones or challenging ones. (laughs) Best slash worst disaster movie.
0: Oh, God. There are so many bad disaster movies. Um, I it's hard to pick one. I generally don't like disaster movies, so I think they're all bad. Um, I will say like San Andreas with the Rock is not terrible. Um, I just watched Greenland that came out recently. That one was okay. again, not terrible.
1: Is there one that jumps out in your mind and be like, if that happened, that's kind of what that would be like?
0: Um, (laughs) they all, they all have, er, well, I mean like, well, that's a bad example too. No, they're all, they're all pretty inaccurate. Is
1: there, is there anyone that is closest, right? Like best of the worst, so to speak.
0: Um, God. Um, I think the movie... Uh, have you seen the movie Crawl? No. Okay. There's this movie Crawl, and it's about a hurricane that goes through Florida, and it's mostly about people getting eaten by alligators. But um, the... <laughs>
1: That is the most accurate disaster movie. (laughs) There
0: are elements of that movie that are pretty accurate. Like the main character, she like goes back despite evacuation warnings to check on her family member. Like she's calling other family members. They're, you know, doing mass evacuation. So in that sense, I think the movie is like pretty accurate. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're all they're all pretty, pretty far off base.
1: Um, I know you have a book coming up, Disasterology. Is there, yep. is there something about it that, you know, when you went and collected these stories and did the research, is there something that really jumps out at you about it?
0: Yeah, so um, I wrote this book based on my experiences of going around to all of these different disasters around the country, either w- working and volunteering in them or researching them. Um, and really what I'm doing in this book is trying to show that the way we do emergency management, the way we prepare for disasters, the way we mitigate them, the way we respond to them, and the way we recover from them, is not as good as it could be. We could be doing so much more. We could be, you know, saving more lives. We could be minimizing our damage. We could be getting people back to a place of feeling that they are recovered um, much more quickly and more justly than we currently do. Um, and so, really, the book is to try to kind of show people that fuller picture of disasters more than just that response to them. Um, And also to put that in this context of climate change, right? Like some of these communities that I go to um, in the book, uh, like along the coast of Louisiana, Ilda, John Charles, you know, you have communities that have already begun to move in part because of climate change. Um, And I think we have a tendency to think about climate change as being this thing of the future. Um, But really, it's something that people are experiencing and having to deal with already.
1: Do these places that get hit with disasters, do they come back? Like, I know they come back, but did they really come back?
0: Yeah. So this is, again, another kind of complex question, but generally, yes. Uh, So um, in the United States, at least communities that experience disasters, um, you know, they tend to rebuild. Um, It's actually somewhat rare for uh, like a whole community to pick up and move. Most of the time they're rebuilding there. Um, And yeah, people do, I think, kind of generally reach a place where they feel like, you know, they're back on stable ground, they have a house, they have a job, they feel like they can kind of move forward in their life. Um, Certainly, that isn't true for everyone. You know, some people deal with the mental health impacts of living through a disaster. The rest of their lives. Um, I, there are, you know, definitely, um, differences in who is able to recover and how quickly they're able to get those resources to recover. Um, and, um, and certainly when communities do recover, they don't always look the same as they did before the disaster. Um, you know, New Orleans is a much different city in some ways today than it was 15 years ago. So, um, But yeah, I mean, generally, we do rebuild.
1: I just kind of had this one pop in. Are you more surprised by our fragility or our resilience?
0: Um, I think I'm more surprised by our fragility. I think that, you know, again, going back to this point that we generally know what our risks are. Um, You know, even something like the situation in Texas, you can look at the state of Texas's emergency management plans and see winter storms that knock out all the power written there. Right. You know, these aren't surprises. And so um, it's (laughs) I don't know if it's surprising, but it's frustrating that uh, we aren't making these policy decisions that could minimize our risk right if we know that there is this huge vulnerability with the texas grid why why is that not being acted on right um and a lot of that is tied into political decisions tied into um you know profit based decision making but um yeah we don't we don't need to face as much risk as we do that's a a choice that some people are making
1: I want to thank Dr. Montano so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram, and we have also included her information in the episode description. Okay. Now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. All right, so we don't usually do this, but I think that something that happened in our last episode was so interesting that we kind of have to our guest that was on was a fetish session wrestler who says that she once had a client request that she run over his penis with her car. If you were, if, if you wanted that, how would you go about doing that logistically? Not saying that you do want it, not saying that you're that person who requested it, but if that was what you wanted, like logistically, how would you go about it?
2: (laughs) Uh, I will say, uh, I guess logistically, if I'm answering the question, I would think that you have to find maybe some elevated sidewalk or a curb. Most men can't lay on their side and have it go to the ground, so to speak. Uh, No. Huh. uh, And and for all you listeners out there that are men, if you say you do, you're a liar. Uh, So I would say probably a curb... Or like maybe some elevated sidewalk.
1: I think that's the only way to do it. Because if if you laid like flat on your back, then she would be running over the rest of you, which would, I assume, cause some massive physical damage. And you couldn't have her like go up a ramp because then that would put too much pressure on one wheel. Right? Now, okay, if you were wanted to do this, would you have a car of choice or would any car work for you? (laughs)
2: I mean, if I was into this kind of thing, I would probably want something a little, like, middle of the road, right? Like, not a Miata, but not like a Chevy Tahoe, so.
1: No, you wouldn't want, like, a Cadillac Escalade.
2: This just sounds, this is just incredibly, I am uncomfortable. You are, like, you've
1: never thought about having your penis run over by a car.
2: (laughs) I can honestly say no, I never I never have uh, ever actually, maybe a bike do, tire.
1: But do you, okay. Do you ever have a reoccurring thought though of this horrible thing happening to you? Like something that you're afraid of, really afraid of happening to you.
2: Yeah. But it, to be honest with you, it's nothing to do with anybody else. Like I'm worried one day that my heart is just going to just gonna stop running. Yeah, uh, dude. It's probably like, going to happen. <laughs> <is it? laughs> like, like I'm not really that worried at all about uh you know that or right, or think about it or anything like that. I don't really have those thoughts.
1: Um, I've always been really worried about being in an a t v accident.
2: I mean, when's the last time you were in an a t v
1: Never even been on one, but I've always been really worried about being involved in an a t v accident
2: oh uh, okay i I mean sure, I guess that's that's just an awkward thing for me to to be like, oh okay. Uh, that's fine because you've never been on one. So how do you, why I'm do you have a I'm just worried about
1: it. I'm just worried about it happening to me. All
2: right. I wouldn't get well, on
1: one. I've never been on one, but I'm really worried about
2: it happening.
1: Like I'll have dreams that I'm in an ATV accident, even though I've never even been on an ATV.
2: I you know, that's, that, that would be me saying I'm afraid of a plane falling out of the sky. <laughs>
1: I don't know if you've been watching the news, but I think that shit happened recently.
2: No, <laughs> you know, no, every, everything's out of the sky. Everything's fine now. Pandemic's over. Everything's good.
1: All right, twenty twenty one off to a good start. Okay, are you ready for your thing? You got your stuff?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I am locked and loaded, and I wish we had like a gun sound on here because I, that's how I feel right now. Like.
1: <laughs> we used to have one, and you didn't like it.
2: Well, there's a lot of things I. It
1: was John's best five. I don't remember how it went.
0: Pew, 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 pew.
1: Yeah, we did have a John's Fast Five. My son was on it, and you didn't like it because my son was on it. So basically, you don't like my son.
2: That's not true at all. I can tell you this. I like the rest of your family a lot more than I like you. That's legit.
1: I wouldn't have any argument with that. I'm the least – That's actually, that's a pretty easy thing. I'm probably the least likable member of my family. Where do you feel like you fit in on that category?
2: Yeah, I mean of course. I mean, my wife and my two little girls, I mean, I'm I'm like that uncle that nobody likes that just sits in the corner at parties. Okay. If, no you,
1: if you if you extended it though on to the broader extended family, like Thanksgiving style family, like where do you think you rank in the list of likable members of your family? The whole family like everybody who's going to Thanksgiving dinner Are you in the top third, middle third, or bottom third?
2: I mean, I should be in the top third, but I'm probably in the bottom third if you ask most of my family. Okay. In my opinion, I'm top third, but my family, I'm probably bottom third for whatever reason.
1: So I'm probably in the top third if you asked my family, but I don't feel like I deserve to be any higher than bottom middle tier of likability in my family.
2: Is that because you're one of the shortest? Actually, I'm one of the tallest. Well, there went that joke. I can't make right. fun of your family. Yeah, you can't insult pop.
1: You can't insult Granddaddy Vincant. Oh, you bringing up my dead mom again? What a dick!
2: <laughs> I never have, and I never would.
1: You just did. You brought up my family just because my mom died. That's because my mom died this year. Go ahead and make a joke.
2: I'm I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just uh, for those of you that don't.
1: I like that we do these on video now and I get to see your awkward squirm.
2: (laughs) I'm here if you need anything, brother. Uh...
1: Okay, but when you say that to somebody, do you actually, all right, not good friends, somebody you kind of know, like, would you actually be there? Like, hey, I need you to pick me up from the airport. And it's just a coworker.
2: Uh, Yeah, I'm that that guy. I, I would be there for them. Sure.
1: Okay, you're a better man than I.
2: You telling me that like if there was somebody that you didn't kind of, well, you kind of knew and they were like, hey, I just need a quick favor. You wouldn't help them out. I think you would help them out.
1: Mm. I would have to know in my mind that they didn't have any other options. If I knew that they didn't have any other options, then I would go do it.
0: But if I also
1: thought like you could you could call Steve. Then I wouldn't, then I wouldn't do it. But if I thought like, okay, I'm the only one who can do this. I'm going to go help this person out then. Yeah. But otherwise, no.
2: <laughs> you, you're you a good guy. We'll just leave it at that. You're not as much of an asshole as you appear on this podcast. Uh, all right. Let's give some shout outs, shall we? <laughs> all right. These are shout out, Tom. We're going to start on Instagram here. Uh, Rachel Rivers. Appreciate you. Caleb Brewer. Alex Moat, Lorenzo Good, Matthew Bricker. Appreciate you checking us out. Uh, Luke Johnson, Jen Doust, Chloe, uh, with her her handle is Just a Girl from East Whittier. Not really sure where that is, but shout out to East Whittier. Uh, Bill Blood and Bo Bro Bob. Probably the best name I've I've seen in quite a while, so. I'm just going to take another drink of my uh, my uh, Sam Adams Rebel IPA here. Not that there's a wow, here. Oh, look
1: at but... you, beer snob, going all the way out and trying the crazy stuff like <laughs> Sam Adams. What are you going to try next? Bud Light?
2: Uh, oh, boy. All right. Uh, let's see here. Some things for you to reminisce and, and think about here. Uh, do, you, do you sleep better when it's warm or cold? Cold. Cold 100%. My wife is the same thing. I don't know if I believe that. I sleep to like where I'll start to sweat and I and I like it. Like I like it warm. I'm not a cold sleeper at all. You like waking
1: up all sweaty.
2: Not that I, that I like it, but it's just, it's not the worst thing in the world to me. No.
1: Do you wash your sheets after you wake up all sweaty?
2: Uh, we usually wash them uh, once a week. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that happen in the show bed. Oh God.
1: That's disgusting to me, that you sleep in your own sweat. That's gross, right?
2: I know, and it makes no sense. But uh, it, it's one of those smells that is it, it's just it's just—it's great to me. Like, you roll over and, like, you just, you know, you smell your pillowcase, and it just
0: You're smells.
2: You're a freak of
1: nature. Like- that's John's wife coming in, making fun of him. What is That's fine. That's that's, that's fine. It's fine. Oh, are you sad now? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean,
2: Don't yell at me (laughs) on the podcast. (laughs) Mom, don't Don't bother me when I'm cleaning my room. Um, Mom,
1: don't bother me. Door's door for a reason.
2: I think think 96% of people will say they love it better or sleep better when it's cold, but I'm not one of those people.
1: I don't know. What do you mean the smell of your pillowcase? Do you like to smell your own bodily (laughs) waste in your pillowcase? Like you're all sweaty, just dripping, and you Uh, love the smell of that?
2: It's not like... You wake up in a puddle of your own sweat. Uh, it's just, I don't know how to explain it. It's like you sweat a little bit overnight. You wake up, you're kind of hot and you roll over and the pillowcase is kind of cool, but it smells like, like you, cause you know, you've been sweating on it.
1: So you want to wake So basically you want to sleep smelling you all night is what I'm you're telling just,
2: me. You I'm miss this.
1: You miss your own smell.
2: It's just getting screwed up, left and right. Here.
1: You're the I, one. You're saying it. I'm not saying it. No, I know,
2: but it, saying it isn't conveying how I'm actually like how I mean it. So,
1: no, dude, I get it. You like to sweat and then smell your own sweat. That's cool.
2: We're just gonna move on. Uh the uh, Food Network or HGTV? Which oh, one? You HGTV.
1: Picking? I don't know oh, how you're... people can watch Food Network all day and not just be hungry.
2: I mean, but you get plenty of ideas. So that's why I watch it. So I can cook, get plenty no, of but ideas.
1: I watch HGTV because I want to see other people's houses and then evaluate if I'm better or worse than they are. But I feel no obligation to then go out and, like, I'm going to redo my deck. But if I watch some stuff on TV, then I'm going to go try to make it, and then I'm going to be 600 pounds.
2: Well, I mean, listen, I'm halfway there. So, well, no, I'm like that's That's kind of 40%. crazy when you put it.
1: When you put it that way, (laughs) 300
2: pounds. (laughs) Uh, And my other question is what's, what's more telling to you that a person has small hands or like, uh, like small ears, like a small face.
1: Okay. Let's, let's, let's make sure we clarify something here. When you talk about small hands, are you trying to read into anything else? are you specifically only evaluating the hands in and of themselves, right? Because a guy with small hands, people will make a joke.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I think I know where you're going. Maybe. Um, I'm, I'm just talking about any man or, or, or person doesn't necessarily have to be a man with just abnormally little hands. Like you walk by that person and you're like, wow, their hands are not like proportionate to their body.
1: I haven't really noticed that many people with small hands. I don't really notice that, but I don't notice small ears either. I always notice the way people walk.
2: Okay. I I would say that I probably notice physical features more than like a walking or a uh, talking, like, you know, at first, usually.
1: Yeah, I don't notice physical features very much at all. I've noticed much more the person's general demeanor. <laughs> like just how they kind of move, how they carry themselves, if they have confidence, if they don't, I noticed that before I notice any physical features. And that's not to say that I'm like not judging them because we're all judging people. Like I'm judgmental as anybody else, but I just don't notice the physical feature first.
2: Well, I feel like I need to say this now because I've been judging you this entire video podcast or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and your your hair looks fantastic again. So well done. The
1: hair looks great. Okay. Are you ready for our top five?
2: I am. Let's uh, let's.
1: So this is John's idea. And normally when John has an idea, I have to shoot it down. But this time it was good. It's a good idea. I liked it a lot. I have to delicately like, oh, I don't know about that one,
2: John. Let's try something else. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: I do. Uh, so this is top five things that are in your bathroom. Now we're going top five things in terms of most important things that you have in your bathroom, right?
2: yeah yeah like items not the toilet or the tub, oh okay you know? well now okay.
1: what would you say oh. is more important though the toilet or the shower
2: Whew. Yeah. yeah that's a... that's tough i mean i feel like i can just go outside with a hose if i had to a toilet right? is like toilet's pretty clutch
1: yeah it probably is the toilet right
2: yeah it has to be i think
1: because you couldn't I mean, I want, I keep wanting to say, no, you know what? I keep wanting to say that it might be the shower is more important than the toilet. But I keep Mm, going back to the toilet because you could always, even if you didn't want to like go outside to hose yourself off, you could just like turn on the sink and give yourself a sponge bath. So you could get by without the shower.
2: Yeah. And I think logistically not having a toilet, then what are you going to do? You're going to build an outhouse, which is going to stink like all hell? Or are you going to just poop in a Well, I don't a think you'll mind it. It's
1: the guy who likes to sleep in his own sweat. I would imagine that you would just hang out in the outhouse all day.
2: For the two people that are listening to this that agree with me on that, they understand totally what I'm saying, and they're reveling in the fact that I'm standing up for all of us who <laughs> like, like that.
1: What's going to be the name of your support group?
2: <laughs> oh, man. Uh... I don't know. Don't hate us because we like to smell our own sweat.
1: (laughs) Love your love your own smell.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, listen, might be the next thing.
1: Okay. What's your number five.
2: All right. So once again, this is just accessories. Um, but my number five is, uh, it's pretty simple. It's just toothpaste.
1: I feel like, okay. Do you have toothbrush in there?
2: I do. And it's the only thing that I separated because I feel like it's that important.
1: Hmm. I kind of feel, I understand what you're saying, right? You can, the toothbrush is more important than the toothpaste, but I do feel like they go together. I think you kind of go together, right? So let's move toothpaste up to wherever your toothbrush is. What's your new number five? You can throw uh, in an honorable mention or bump something up.
2: No. So then I'll, then I'll just throw uh throw something off my honorable mention. Just a, uh, like a, like a bath towel.
1: Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That seems like it should be a lot more important, but then when you think about it, like you could just air dry. It's not that yeah. big of a deal, especially if you're a guy.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay. It's not, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Bath towel is my number five. What's your number five? Nail clippers. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't have those anywhere on my list because I, uh, we don't keep the nail clippers in the bathroom in my house.
1: Where do you keep them?
2: Uh, so we have two pairs, one for the little grids and then one for us, and we kind of keep them in the same little jar in, uh, in our living room, like with some other little accessories.
1: Okay, okay. You don't keep them <laughs> with your 18 different kinds of tongs that you have for various different meats, produce, breads, and grains? <laughs> for people who are new to this, John has literally like 15 different pairs of kitchen tongs, each one with its own speciality that he purchases for
2: $20 apiece. I honestly think it's 3, but sure, you can say 15, that's fine.
1: Okay, it's still ridiculous. You need one <laughs> pair of tongs and that's it.
2: <laughs> All right, well, whatever you say there, Bob Vila.
1: That's a compliment. I'd take that as a compliment. Okay, R- what's your number R- 4 then?
2: RIP R- R- Bob Vila. Uh, Is he dead? Uh I don't I don't honestly know. I'm going to look that up real fast because I might have I feel just...
1: like Bob Vila being dead would be one of those celebrities that you would know if he was dead or not.
2: Oh no, he is not dead. He is seventy-four years old. So,
1: oh, he's got a long life ahead of him.
2: Yeah, he's not even anywhere close to being. I mean,
1: not a good life, but a long. He's got like time <laughs> left. It's not a good time, but he's got time left.
2: Yeah, he has some time left. Um, all right, my number four shampoo.
1: God, that's my number four too.
2: Are you a yeah, conditioner I, man? No, not at all. But you I don't mean, use combine. conditioner. I have shampoo that is you know shampoo and conditioner but like I wouldn't buy conditioner separate
1: mm, my wife does I don't know if it makes a difference but it makes you feel like it makes a difference like I only use conditioner on Monday Thursday and Saturday oh, which boy. is the same the reason that I say that is because there's the same days that I shave that's why I know that
2: how often are you do you shower are you a shower every day
1: oh I shower three times a day straight up Three to four times a day. When I lived in Arizona, it was probably four, maybe even five. So, why do you
2: shower so many times?
1: Okay. It sounds absolutely ridiculous until you kind of understand the circumstances. And the circumstance is that I was born without a sense of smell. So, I have no idea if I stink or not. And it is pretty normal for people without a sense of smell to shower more often. Like if I hit, if if I have a, like, let's say I just do laundry and there's a piece of clothing that's fallen kind of near the laundry where it could be clean or could be dirty. I'm going to wash that again automatically.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, when you say it like that, then I can't make fun of you because it makes complete sense.
1: It's, it, it kind of makes sense. Like it's excessive, but you're also like, I kind of get that.
2: How many times a day you shower? One usually, and it depends if it's in the morning or at night, so
1: it depends like when do you like to smell yourself more in the morning or in the night?
2: Uh, <laughs> I will tell you this, that I think there's been more times when i've uh at night where I've been like, "Oh shit, I need to shower, I smell like a you know a pig walking around a farm right now.
1: I think that's an insult to pigs; we don't actually know what they smell like um what's your number three
2: uh q tips.
1: Do you put them in your ears or do you use them for anything else?
2: <laughs> no. I don't know what just, else
1: you'd be, I don't know what else you would be using them for. I don't know what's going on at the Shoal household.
2: No, just usually in my ears.
1: How often do you do that? How often do you Q-tip?
2: Uh, usually every other day.
1: Wow. That's way too much, man. You're damaging your ears.
2: That's what my wife says, but it's it just, it feels great too. So like, fuck it. I'll spend Ooh. 30 seconds, you know?
1: I, it does feel great. It feels fantastic. It
2: It does feel, Uh, it feels awesome.
1: Okay. Of things that ranks up with things you can do to yourself that feel as good as solo pleasure cruise and cleaning out your own ears. Jesus Christ. Is cleaning out your Um, own ears the only thing that ranks close to that?
2: Probably on a, probably on a regular basis. I mean, like if you don't brush your teeth for a day or so and you, you know, you're going at it, I mean, that can feel pretty damn good too. Um, Okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. I just think on a regular basis, yeah, probably the Q-tip.
1: I can't think of anything else that you do to yourself that feels as good as those two things.
2: No, not I mean not at all. I uh <laughs> pleasure mm. cruise. Um mm,
1: interesting. Yeah, that's weird when you think about
2: it. What what number are we on? Uh we're on my number 2, which is uh what I that's We're, we're on two- my number 3. I just realized oh, yeah, we're, we're on at, my number 3. Yeah, we're on your uh, number 3.
1: Look, I'm going to go off kilter. I'm going to go with lotion.
2: It's just going to have a drink of my beer. You got here. a problem with, yeah, you
1: got a problem with lotion. I'm not talking about that. I'm just trying I'm to really formulate just...
2: a question and ask you why is, why is I got smoking? dry skin.
1: I got dry skin, huh? I got it from huh. my mom, who you made fun of earlier. Rest in peace, mom. Oh, boy.
2: <laughs> See what Nick's doing right now, everybody is he's, he's caught because he doesn't want to admit that he's, you know.
1: Did I like lotion? Off?
2: spend a lot of time uh pleasure cruising as he says
1: look i don't do that in the bathroom
2: (laughs) all right i'm just my number two i don't i do it on
1: the front porch
2: oh boy well that would explain something uh my number two is the toothbrush slash toothpaste
1: okay i agree with that i think we're probably going to have the same number one but i agree with toothbrush toothpaste with toothbrush being the more important of those you can't do it with water if you had to
2: uh yeah and for sure 100%. Hundred percent, or a water pick. I don't know if you've ever uh, done a water pick, but those are pretty pretty gnarly too.
1: I have not, but I have a sonicare. Do you know what a sonicare is?
2: I do. Uh, I have. I actually have a uh, electric toothbrush now, but it's not a sonicare.
1: I'm not asking if you have it. Yeah. So then you don't, right?
2: Can you just stop yelling
1: at me? <laughs> a sonicare is so much different than an electric toothbrush. It's superior in every way.
2: I mean, okay. Pitch, pitch the sonicare. Toothbrush to me in one sentence.
1: Once you try a serum sonicare, you will wonder what you've been doing with your life.
2: Wow! This is a All life right. changing
1: event. It's a life changing toothbrushing event.
2: That's how far. <laughs>
1: that's how I feel about a sonicare.
2: All right. Well, uh, fair enough.
1: Okay. What's your number one?
2: Uh, I mean, it's pretty easy. It's toilet paper.
1: Not soap?
2: Uh no, not soap. Hmm. What's your number one,
1: soap? My, my number one is soap. I don't see you how he's, you get... You don't even have
2: toilet paper on the list?
1: No, I don't, because I can always just jump in the shower if I need to. I also kind of forgot about toilet paper, which should have been higher on... like I, It should be on a top five. I agree that that's an oversight, but I don't think it's above soap. I don't.
2: I I think uh, nothing beats good toilet paper in the bathroom. That's, you know... It, I even have a bidet, and I still sometimes prefer. Oh, here we go. Prefer good toilet paper, man.
1: How do you not wash your sheets and have a bidet?
2: Uh, I wash my sheets uh, every week. I don't know how many times you're supposed to do that, um, but the bidet, the bidet is just awesome. Don't hate on a bidet till you. Have I'm not a bidet. hating
1: on the bidet. I'm not hating on the bidet. I just don't understand, right? It's like somebody who has a really expensive car and then buys cheap tires.
2: <laughs> I mean, I guess if, that, if that's, if you want to go to that extreme, then yes, but.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, what's in your honorable mention?
2: You know, man, it was hard for me to come up with any kind of honorable mention. I don't really have a whole lot of other, thing. I have bathroom cups. That's it. Like little solo cups to rinse your mouth. What? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird. What?
1: Do you have those at your house?
2: We do, we do.
1: Like the ones that you have to go. It's not one that you just put in the dishwasher. Like you have one that you you go buy where, like, throw away bathroom cups because you can't well, there, be bothered to just put your mouth down by the sink like a normal person.
2: First off, my daughters use them, so you know okay. We'll that. raise them
1: right. Let's raise
2: them right. Let's raise them right. <laughs> green planet, green earth, which I agree with, but there are some instances where you know
1: like Should what be... what instances is as it's too dangerous
2: <laughs> Listen to Captain Planet. I didn't know you were such a green planet over there. I'm
1: not a green planet. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do. You know what it is? I'm that cheap. Like we Hey, I'm going to go <laughs> buy reusable bathroom cups for what? You can put your <laughs> face down there or use your hands like a normal person or just drink straight from the jug. The Listerine thing. Like just use the cap. Not going out there wasting five dollars. How much do you spend on bathroom cups a month?
2: Two ninety nine. I mean we only buy one package a month and it gets us through a couple of months, I think. And where
1: do you now do you keep all of them on the countertop or do you keep some of them on the countertop and the rest underneath the bathroom sink?
2: Uh half and half usually. Half on top, half underneath.
1: Okay, legit. If you were gonna go ahead and say that you put the other half like in another room, I was gonna have to I was gonna have to say some stuff.
2: Well, it's closet behind me, actually, is, is where the other half are. So, you know, I could actually
1: me. see you like David. Now, do you only keep the bathroom cups in one bathroom or do you have bathroom cups in other bathrooms for your guests?
2: Uh No, it's n- nothing for the guests usually just, you know. OK. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's selfish. All right. <laughs> what else you got?
2: I got nothing, man. I got nothing.
1: You have no other honorable mentions? Not really. No. Not
2: even deodorant. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, deodorant's not bad, actually. We'll add that and soap. I'll add soap to the list, too.
1: Yeah, soap should be in the top five. Your oversight of not having soap in the top five is as bad as my oversight of not having toilet paper in the top five. That's got to be on there. Floss also needs to be on there. Floss should at least be, even if you're not going to do it, it should at least be an honorable mention.
2: Yeah, or flossers, I guess.
1: I use flossers. I don't think anybody still uses real floss. Like, you want me to wipe... R- yeah. Bring that shit around my fingers? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's 2021.
2: Nope. I'm not doing <laughs> that. The great year of 2021. Here we go.
1: I mean, all right. So John and I are obviously... Well, biologically, we are men. I don't know if we're men in any other kind of way. But I would think that <laughs> some other things you could have would be like a curling iron, a blow dryer. Um... That's about it. That's about the only other things that I think really should rank up
2: there. Uh, The hairdryer, I would say, probably, yeah.
1: Okay. All right, dude, wash your sheets. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Would love to know what... What do you think is the most important thing in the bathroom? Nail clippers is an oversight. Because that's up there. Tweezers? That's also another good one.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.